0: For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Back when I lived on the mainland, uh, I started to really connect with one of my volunteer youth leaders, who was uh, he was an older guy. Uh, and in his driveway, he had parked this, this 1980 Triumph Spitfire convertible, right? Those little, little green British sports car, uh, so low to the ground that when you're sitting in the seat, I could actually touch the ground with my arm. Uh, and it was it was a rusted piece of junk. It didn't work. Uh, it was Everything was seized up. And so uh, we began to sort of connect over this car. And he began to really do a mechanics class with me where he taught me how to sort of tear this thing apart and rebuild it. And so uh, we rebuilt the clutch and the starter and the carburetor, the seat steering, the brakes. Uh, we got this thing up, up and going again, even though sometimes it felt like it was held together with, with chewing gum and tape. Um, uh, and really the process for me was understanding that there's so much complexity to a car, even, uh, a, you know, a 40 year old British sports car. Um, there, there was so much complexity and so much that I didn't actually understand. And, um, about this thing and, and, and imagine me teaching um, my kids now showing them how to use the pedals in the car and how to turn it on uh, and my kids assuming that and knowing those few things that they know absolutely everything there is to know about the car, that they're experts on it, they know everything about it. Uh, and maybe in, in a kid's way of thinking they, they think they do but uh, they don't even know what they don't know, right? They wouldn't even begin, begin to be able to understand the complexity of, of hydraulics and ignition and, and all these sort of things. And sometimes I wonder with God if we think we've got him figured out. If um, perhaps we've been studying the Bible or we've been reading some blogs or we've just been thinking on it a lot ourselves and and we think we've got a pretty good handle on God. And um, I think there's some arrogance to that. That you look at the God who created the universe, who created psychology, who created physics, biology, chemistry, uh, the stars, the black holes, the supernovas who created it all that that we, with our five senses, as human beings, would be able to understand him completely. Uh, there's an arrogance to that. Um, and so uh, we're going to pick up the text here, Matthew, chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man was blind and mute and was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Uh, there, there's uh, this miraculous healing again. Uh, the Bible repeatedly says that there is a spiritual realm. There are, this isn't a uh, a passage that's supposed to be us fully understanding how demons work, any of these things. Um, but there is a spiritual reality, a warfare going on around us that we don't understand. The Bible is really clear on that. Um, and so somehow there's a demon-possessed man and there's this miracle Well, Jesus delivers him and that's sort of an aside to the story. Verse 23, And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Son of David was a messianic term, that the, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that was prophesied, the one who would sit forever on the throne of David, the one who would rule the world, the one we've been waiting for, the Savior. Could, could this guy, could he be? There's this disbelief as he didn't line up with their expectations. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul. Um, that's, that's sort of another way of saying the devil, Satan, um, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So the Pharisees, Pharisees couldn't shake their expectations of what the Messiah would look like, what the son of David would be. And Jesus wasn't it. And so they said, there's got to be another explanation because obviously this guy isn't it. Our expectation is that the son of David, the true Messiah is going to come in and he's going to kick out the Romans. And he's going to reestablish the throne of Israel in power and prominence. And he's obviously going to pat us on the back and be really excited and pleased by what we're doing. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus obviously isn't the Messiah. Knowing their thoughts, this is Jesus, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. And how will his kingdom stand? Um, Jesus confronts their thinking. He sort of says, listen, if you think I'm on the devil's team, then why am I casting out the devil? why would I be cutting against my own kingdom? Why would I be defeating myself? And then he goes on to say in another way, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Um, so it seems here that, that devout Jewish believers are also able to cast out some demons, some people. And so Jesus says, you're not accusing your sons, your <laughs> the people that you respect, of, of also casting them out by by Satan. And so um, why am I being accused of this? Verse 28. But if by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, Jesus is is making a declaration here. He says, listen, if I'm casting out demons, it's a sign that the kingdom of God, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is is coming to earth, that, that there is this inauguration. And Jesus repeatedly, especially here in Matthew, declares the kingdom is here. I'm declaring the kingdom has begun, now and not yet. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Uh, There was um, a Jewish expectation that the Messiah would bind up uh, Satan. Um, Jesus says that he's not only binding him up, but he's also plundering. He's also stealing from his house. Whoever is not with me Is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters Um, so Jesus is again drawing a bit of a line in the sand of saying uh, like he does later where he says there are sheep and there are goats there are those who hear my voice those who are with me and there are those who are not therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people but the blasphemy against the Holy against the Spirit will not be forgiven And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Uh, So this is a tricky verse. Uh, There's some debate as to what exactly is going on here. Um, But the sense that I get is that to ignore ignore Christ, um, being blind to the truth is something that we can all be redeemed from. So being ignorant of who Jesus is, Is something that there's forgiveness for. And that all of us, until God does a work in our lives, are ignorant of the truth, are ignorant. And it's like with Paul, having scales on our eyes, unable to see. And there there is forgiveness and there's redemption and there's hope for that. But um, Jesus sort of says here that when the Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to the truth and we reject it, It's a a willful turning away, there's condemnation there. Uh, I think Paul is a good example of this, where when he was Saul, he's persecuting Jesus in ignorance. He doesn't truly know who Jesus is, God hasn't opened his eyes to see that, um, and there's forgiveness, and he encounters Jesus, he repents, he believes. It's not an easy passage. Um, Voltaire, who's the, a French writer uh, and philosopher, um, was once asked, hey, someday if you encounter God, what will you say to him? And Voltaire's response is, God forgive because it's your business to. Um, see, Voltaire took sin very lightly, very very apathetically. And so he created in his imagination a God who is just like him, who also didn't really care about sin, who is apathetic. And I think there's a real temptation in each of us to create a god of our own image and likeness the pharisees did it when they said no this can't be jesus because jesus is god is, is obviously the messiah is obviously going to care about our 39 categories of the sabbath laws and he's obviously going to care about the temple in the way that we care about it, and he's obviously going to see the Romans the way that we see them, and obviously he's going to see the Gentiles the way that we see them, and, and they created a Messiah, a God in their own image. And I think we all are tempted to do that, assuming that we, we, we sort of assume that we have God figured out and that God is obviously like us. But it's a little like my kids assuming that just because they understand the brake and the gas pedal make you go and stop, that they have the car completely figured out and it's just not the case. That I think we need to come sometimes to a text like this where there is this, this, this condemnation, where there is a division that's saying that, um, that if we reject what the Holy Spirit does in our life, then there is no forgiveness. That doesn't sit well with us. But I think we need to come with a, an attitude of humility and, and set aside our arrogance and going, listen, God is not a 21st century Canadian. And that, that actually, if there are things, if there aren't things about God that, that frustrate me, that confuse me, that I disagree with, what does that have to say about the God I believe in? That, that me as a human, as a fallible human, have God completely figured out and that, that God, is, I completely get him, I completely understand him, and he does nothing and says nothing that, that opposes me, that is, is against my own personality. Like, what does that actually say about my belief about who that God is? But, but actually, I think that we need to, we need to come to God on, on his terms and not ours. We realize that we, just like in the story, we the ones were the ones who were enslaved, who were tied up by Satan in our sin, in our slavery, that Jesus broken and Jesus set us free, that Jesus has rescued us from the house. And there are going to be times when we don't understand God because we are human. If we could fully understand everything there is to know about God, is that really actually God? Or do we have this tendency to try and create God in our own image, and our own likeness? Because obviously God thinks like I do and wants the things that I want. There's, there's ex- extreme arrogance to this that the that, that people said, can this be the son of David? They, they couldn't compute that, that God might look different than they want him to. And some would get over it and and submit and acknowledge that, okay, looks like God was doing something different than we assumed and expected, and some couldn't get over it. And so when it comes to God's word to us, that that his, His divinely inspired word that we have in Scripture, this is the face of God that we see, as one author put it. There are things in this book that will not sit well with us. There are things that that we don't necessarily like, that that are going to be difficult for us to understand. And and there are things we go, God, why did you do that? What were you thinking? That makes no sense to me. Or why would you command that? Or why would you ask that? Or why would you set up uh, a system where people are, are not forgiven? And I think we need to come to the Bible with a sense of humility and submission, where we allow God to be God. And and, and when we encounter these things in the Bible, there's a real temptation sometimes for us to um, ignore it, to dismiss it, to maybe find a blog that thinks the way that we think, that will perhaps look at it a different way, that gives us an excuse to go, oh, the Bible doesn't actually say that. It says what I want it to say, right? Because we are creating a God in our image and there needs to be stuff. There needs to be this tension in us because God is God and we submit to it and we allow the Bible to change us. We don't have to make excuses for it. We don't need to like it all, but we sit under it and we love that that God knows what He's doing and God is God. And we allow the difficulty of some of these truths change who we are and change our perspective of God and and perhaps even just acknowledging that I don't understand everything about Him because I'm not God. Uh, And so so that's the challenge for us today. Is is there something that that maybe you're you're trying to twist and distort? Maybe there's certain blogs that you really like because they, they twist and distort it for you so that it becomes more palatable and acceptable where we simply come before it and say, God, you're God. And I submit to that. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it. And we allow God to be God. And that's enough. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're not me. that You're not us. that You're so far beyond us and above us even though it seems like we are so wise to ourselves and intelligent and we've got all of life figured out, God, sometimes we just need to come before these difficult texts and acknowledge that you know far better than we do. That we don't have your perspective on sin. We don't have your love. We don't have your grace. Help us simply to bow our knee and submit to you even when uh, we may not like it. Help us to trust you instead of ourselves and our own wisdom. Help us not to be conformed by culture, but to be transformed by your word so that we look more like you and think more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll talk again soon.